welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Advisor Talk. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I am very, very excited, one, to welcome everybody into the new year. Happy 2021. Good riddance to 2020. If you're listening to this five or 10 years from now, you'll know what that means, so go back and look it up. Anyway, I am really excited to have my conversation today with a longtime friend and former sparring partner, the only person to ever give me a concussion. My good friend, Austin Philbin, the Chief Administrative Officer for Dynasty Financial Partners. What's up, Austin? Let's go, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Happy New Year to you and your family. And it's been interesting to think back how long we've known each other and the trajectory of both of our lives. Forget about just the professional side of it, just life in general. And so I'm very excited just to have a conversation with you and see where we go from today. For the, everyone listening, Austin and I have these calls throughout the year, just normal calls, and they're really good calls. And we're like, we need to just tape our phone calls one day because we talk about a little bit of everything, and I think it's all relevant. So today, as a listener, you're going to get a little bit of everything. We're going to title this episode, Babies, Boxing, and Business. So enjoy the ride. <laughs> enjoy the ride. So let's get into the biggest change, I guess I'll say, in your life for the rest of your life is your new baby. She's adorable. I follow her on Instagram and I look for the little outfits that we sent you. And so tell us what that's like. And we're going to segue that into how is that affecting your day and your routine, which I'm impressed with. I know you are always very regimented with your routine, but I can say that you're a better man than me right now with kids and keeping your routine down pat. So what's that been like to have a, your new girl? My wife, Sarah, and I, we had a daughter the 3rd of February, supposed to have it on 2 to 2020 but that was not meant to be. So we had her on the 3rd of 2020. Her nickname is Big Time Baby Tank because she's a baby tank. She started walking at nine months. As soon as we had her, I bought two full-size Olympic wrestling mats and put them in the living room so that she could trek around. We have a very low bar in terms of a goal for her. We said that she's going to be a gold medal Olympic wrestler and an astrophysicist. So we're hoping that that bar is relatively low. No pressure. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. No pressure. No pressure. She sleeps well through the night. But as I know that you do, the secret to all of this is my wife who handles the brunt of the caring for Cadence and she's just phenomenal. She's a great mom. It's her first child, our first child together. I have a son as well, Keanu. But it's been a great experience to be able to spend time with Cadence and and Sarah. And that's what's unique about the COVID environment. There's silver linings to everything. If you look hard enough in life and with the pandemic and being able to stay home and watch her grow and not have to travel as much as I typically do, that's been great. Do you have her, I think one of the outfits I got you was like a baby jujitsu outfit or something. There was a long time. It was for me, it felt like forever ago, but I would imagine you're already looking for classes to enroll her in and getting her in part of your sparring routines and your classes, which we'll get into in a minute. People think that it's probably irrational, but it's okay. We bought, when I say we, I bought her a miniature gymnastics bar 
And so we try to practice hanging from the bar, which is interesting. Babies can hold themselves up. So she likes to do that. She laughs. We have some little mini basketball things. And it's just a matter of hopefully instilling a love without a regimented focus on being active and keeping yourself in physical condition. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do initially with her. My son, he does a lot of jujitsu, so he's pretty talented in that. And when he comes to visit, we do a lot of boxing in, in the backyard. So it's just a matter of trying to lead by example and then create opportunities for children to be able to explore the physicality of life. One of the things that I always thought fascinating with little kids, I mean, I had little kids. So for everybody that listening, I have a 22-year-old and a 16-year-old, so a different stage of life. <laughs> Doesn't mean the issues go away. There's still issues, it's just different. <laughs> and COVID certainly brings on different issues when you have a 22 year old with effectively another grown adult in your house. It brings on interesting challenges. But one of the things I always thought fascinating about babies, and you posted a couple of these things, some photos of Cadence on occasion, and it's sort of that's what drew me to my attention. One of them was her, she's always looking at stuff. She's always like, you can see in her eyes, she's always trying to figure shit out. And I thought that was interesting because that's we talk about developing and learning and growing and it's sort of like growth mindset is a key word everyone buzzword everyone uses right now. But I think a lot of times babies are like quintessential growth mindset people. They have they're always trying to learn. And that's one of the things you talk about this COVID environment. What are they doing? What are people doing today to to learn growth mindset? And I thought, wow, what an interesting topic to talk about with Austin and how does he see that in his daughter? And maybe I'm curious if you saw something different with Keanu. It was a longer period of time. You're a different stage for those of you that are listening. So Austin and I have known each other for about 14 years. I was always impressed with Austin, his life history, where he's been in life. The I think you speak five languages. I'm not sure if you added another one to that one, but <laughs> why not? You got nothing else to do. But I just thought that it was, what have you seen? You're older now. So as you get older, you learn things, you're paying more attention. So the things that you maybe observed when Kiana was a baby versus today, how do you sort of equate those things to business and what you're doing in your life in terms of being in a growth mindset? It's a great question, and I'll answer it in a few different ways. The first is prior to getting into financial services, I mean, I had a very unique opportunity to live in Japan for almost five years, and that's where I started to get into martial arts, but also for the first three years that I was there, I taught all sorts of different classes, English classes for students that range from five years old all the way to adults. And my mother's a teacher. And so whether it's cadence or those students, one of the things that was most inspirational about being alongside children is just their vigor and their excitement about the basic elements of life that as oftentimes when we get older, we forget about and that we don't bring that same type of passion to very simple tasks. And so specific to the lessons that Cadence has taught me over the past nine months or 11 months, it's just been that there should be a desire to be happy. Like, and happy is kind of this esoteric concept when you think about it, either from a physiological perspective or from just a way of being. And for me, one of the reasons why I think younger people are so happy, and maybe sometimes that goes away, is because 
obviously responsibilities pop up. So I don't want to like downplay that. But like, there's also the fact that like, at some point, perhaps there's less of a desire to grow and less of a desire to try new things for fear or failure. Watch a baby. I watch my daughter fall every day, hundreds of times, like really hard falls, whack her head. (laughs) And she gets back up. And over time, she's become a better walker. And so that type of lesson, although it seems really simple and one that like as adults, we should embody and think about, sometimes I think we forget about it and we don't put ourselves in enough positions where we want to fail. And then if you extrapolate that and take it to your question about my personal philosophy on life is that I always want to try like random things both to grow, but also to put myself in a position of failure. So I'll give you two examples that I've tried during the pandemic. The first is I got interested. It's a fairly prevalent and common person, Wim Hof. So I built an ice bath in my garage and I did the Wim Hof breathing. I got up to like, call it four and a half minutes of being able to hold my breath. But like by going through that process and trying something new and then shocking your body by exposing it to cold water, those are things that your body doesn't want to do. And like perhaps other people like why, because when I tell people like, why would you do that? That sounds stupid. But it's more about like being able to give up and have experience of failure. So that's one thing. The second thing is I started this group here in St. Petersburg to get together really early in the morning to exercise. And I intentionally invited people that were like much younger athletes because I wanted to be the person that was last. I don't want to be the person in the room. Like the quote of like, if you're in the room and you're the smartest person, or if you're in the gym and you're the strongest, you're in the wrong room or the wrong gym, that's hard for people to like accept. And then to take it and apply it to business, it's understand the mindset of where you are. And if you're okay with where you are, I don't want to argue against that, but if you have an idea of like growing You can't expect new results if you're just doing the same things over and over again. So you have to try new things and be willing to fail in order to have what I think is parabolic growth. At least that's the way that I looked at it in my life. A lot of people talk about growth. I was just thinking about you're talking about having younger guys in the room, and we'll get to our boxing days in a minute because you reminded me about that, me being the oldest guy in the room and getting my ass kicked. But anyway, (laughs) good memories. But anyway, you know, they do talk about this whole thing about what makes certain entrepreneurs happier than others. And why do people, when they achieve such levels of greatness, why are they so depressed? And you look at athletes that they have a major victory, Olympic athletes, and then they crash afterwards. And what I've learned over time, and you're sort of explaining, you're going through it, is it's more about the journey of getting someplace and growing than the actual destination. And if you basically don't have a destination anymore, how do you expect to really be happy? And people can say, well, you can be happy with where you are. Not really. I don't think you really are unless you're growing. I think our bodies aren't meant to, as human beings, we're not meant to be idle. We're meant to be pushing ourselves and doing things that are uncomfortable is where the growth happens. And I think when you grow, that's what makes you happy. And that's one of the things that I've always, that you continue to do as I've followed your career it's just amazing when we first started, you came in in one particular role and now you're at a great firm in a great position. You have a great wife, you have great kids and you're doing all these things and I applaud you for all that because you're continuing to grow. So let's get into the boxing thing for a second. So again, for the listeners. Before we get into the boxing, one thing is that was an incredibly articulate point of view, not the last stuff about like me, like thank you <laughs> for boosting my ego. But before that, I want to put a little finer point to it, which is 
I work with lots of advisors. I've worked with advisors, as we said, for the past, call it 15 years every day, like high producing, some of the best advisors in the entire world, definitely in the entire United States. One of the things that I've identified of really strong financial advisors that's probably similar to strong athletes and any other professions, the fact that they really do focus on their effort and their energy on the activities that are going to make a difference. When you look at a business and you're an entrepreneur, there are really two variables that matter. There are lots of variables, but there are two that matter. It's like revenue and expenses. And so I ask people as they go through their day and the activities that they do, are they aligned in some way, shape or form to generating more revenue or helping the company to keep expenses down? Because if the activities are not doing that, then you're wasting time. Some things have to get done. I get it. But like a lot of the things that I see people focus on that are less successful are very myopic details, getting into the performance reporting system that I use doesn't have the exact benchmark that I want. And I always turn the question back to the person is like, is because you don't want that or your clients want that? Because I'll go to the end of the earth to solve a problem if it's something that's impacting advisor's client. But I want to know for sure, is it your problem or is it the client's problem? And it's been my experience that the ones that focus their effort and energy on activities that generate revenue or keep expenses down are more successful because they're doing the things that they need to do to help the business grow. Yeah, it's like busy work. There's some people that are just really good at looking busy and they act busy and they say, oh, I'm I have so much stuff going. I'm totally overwhelmed. Well, you're probably not really efficient in your day and you're probably wasting your time on a lot of things you shouldn't be doing. What's your day like? And I can tell you, I started this business 11 years ago. So just after, I guess, Dynasty just celebrated, I think, 11 or 12 years. We started businesses right around the same time, Cheryl Penny and I, which I'll ask you, want you to get into in a little bit. But I used to say to people that until you're actually a business owner and you're an entrepreneur, everything else is just play work. If you don't have to worry about expenses, you don't have to worry about replacing machinery and writing checks out of your own checking account. You're basically a practitioner. If you have a branch manager, you're not really a business owner. And you have to be really organized when you become a business owner and understand where you're spending your time and your energy. So for me, it's really about energy, how I handle my mornings, how I handle my day. I try to stay, this is a work in progress. So, so for me, my word of the year, which we're focusing on, is the word better. So everything we do in my personal life as a husband, as a father, as a leader at the home and a leader at my office, it's all about better. So better nutrition, better morning routine, better fitness, which I'm failing miserably at, <laughs> failing miserably at. I watch you on Instagram, whatever. I'm like, son of a bitch, he's still at it. Uh, so it's better. But I am toying with the idea, so getting into the boxing thing about sort of, and this is the other theme. It's a growth mindset, growing, but it's also moving forward with your strategies, growing something. And in boxing, which I've boxed with a lot of different people, but you're the only one that's sort of still around that I've gotten in the ring with. I feel like the same way. I toyed with this idea the other last weekend with my wife about getting back into our training routine. And the way I used to get into peak physical condition is when I had a goal in mind. Right? I had a target. We were trying out for the boxing on Wall Street events, and those were great times. Not sure I would do that again. But I am toying with the idea of getting back into the ring and doing some more amateur boxing like I used to because it gave me a target and a goal and a way to sort of 
keep moving forward on my health and nutrition. And by the way, so Austin used to kick my ass frequently. So Austin and I worked together really during not a great time in the markets, right? It was like 07, 08, 09. And sometimes we'd go at lunch, sometimes we'd go after work and we'd just go banging around a little bit. And it was fun. It was definitely fun. And Austin was the term speed kills. I can attest to that because Austin used to kill me because he was pretty fast. So tell me about how are you staying so regimented with what you're doing? I watch you and you posted something today, which was like a grease board. It says something about this workout sucks or something like that. Tell me a little bit about, and this is, the listeners will get something out of this, but this is really my question for me personally. Tell me about your routine. How are you able to stay so regimented with your fitness routine? Because that being in peak physical condition helps everything else in life. I know that I would be a better parent, a better leader here if I was in better physical condition. So what's the secret sauce? Each of us have non-negotiables in our life, I think, or each of us should have non-negotiables in our life. And so for me, one of the non-negotiables that I have is being able to schedule enough time to be physically active. So that's a, that's a very basic goal to have. But then to come back to a point that you made earlier around having a goal and then working towards things, one of the big challenges that people have, particularly around fitness, is rather than take a Kaizen approach, which is that you make small, incremental, positive changes that over time lead to massive results, they dive into a workout or a nutrition routine that has nothing but a chance of failure to it, like because it's impossible for a mortal or an immortal to be able to achieve. And then the way that I think about fitness, whether it's been my martial arts career or just in general, is that when I graduated from college, I wanted to be able to do something that would require so much mental and physical attention to it that the rest of my life, whether that's my personal issues, relationship issues, spiritual issues, or professional issues would go away because you can't be thinking about the client that you didn't get if you're in a ring kickboxing or wrestling with someone. I mean, you can, but you'll likely get <laughs> your head beat in. And so I always wanted to find activities that would require 100% devotion to it so that the other parts, at least for that hour within the day, would be able to be placed on a shelf and that it could also expend a lot of the emotional energy that builds up during the day. Because if you're an entrepreneur, if you're in financial services, it doesn't even matter. Like stress is a reality within the day-to-day -day basis. And so I think that people in general need to find a way to release that stress in a positive way. And for me, it's always been able to align really nicely with physical activity. So that's kind of the way that that's the mentality that I bring to it. Do you have a routine, a weekly routine that you set up going into the week? Like, you know, that on Monday I'm doing this, Tuesday I'm doing this, Wednesday I'm doing this, or are you sort of getting up? And by the way, I agree with you. My wife, I have a gym in my house, but I also go to the same gym I've been going to for the last however many years. She says, why do you like going there? I said, because it's changing in environment for me. If I'm training and boxing downstairs in our gym, I'm in a space that reminds me of the rest of the world. And when I go to our boxing gym or my boxing gym, where you used to go with me, it's a different world. And it's great. And no one looks at you with what's your leadership skills and 
what happened in your life today and what kind of car do you drive and how much money you make and we're all equals. It's a nice environment. But in terms of your daily schedule, do you have a specific schedule worked out during the on a Sunday night or do you just wing it every day? It's definitely an area that waxes and wanes in my life and had very positive role models that are much more regimented around the structure and planning of nutrition and training. So to answer your question directly, because I don't like when people go off on tangents, the answer is no, I don't have like a specific day-by-day plan from a nutritional or uh, physical perspective. What I do do though, is the night before, like as an example, I wrote out what we're going to do this morning as a group. So anytime there's like a group activity, it's all written out and structured and timing is there and everything that we're going to do, that's planned out pretty well. And then my wife and I, usually at the beginning of the week, we'll talk about like, here's what's upcoming in the week. Here are the nights that I'm going to be out at client dinners or here are the nights that we're going to kind of eat together and here's what we're thinking together. So she is naturally very healthy and very fit as well. And so that just kind of happens organically. That's the way that I do it because again, for me, that extends to business. I'm one of the people that focus more on implementation and less on regimented planning. And so that's why I need to, like when I build my team, I need to have people that are really good at processes and building out PowerPoints and like explaining like what the outcome should be. I'm more like a bull, like give me the ball and let me like run as hard as I can. Because for me, I want to make sure that we implement and I don't want to spend so much time where planning overtakes the actual actions necessary to get the results that you need. Planning to plan and having a meeting to talk about a meeting and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's have a meeting to talk about our meeting next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I'm not into that. That's not my deal. No, no, you can use time. So let's get into your position. Let's get into some business here. And I think that the theme that I want to go over, which is what I think is happening within our space, is the winners of what's coming. And I look at this sort of these tsunami wave of change coming. The winners are going to be the ones that have a growth mindset and in boxing terms are the ones that keep moving forward. And they're not worrying about the minutia about what happened and why and why did I get this person and my firm did this and blah, blah, blah. So tell me a little bit about Dynasty Financial Partners. I go way back with Cheryl Penny as well, and he's done a phenomenal, phenomenal job building something different. And I and admire him for that. I'm trying to do the same thing within my space. But tell me a little about Dynasty, your role, and let's just sort of just get into where we see things changing and how Dynasty is going to be a big player in that space with advisors. And I know we have some opinions on that. So tell me a little bit about Dynasty. To start, I'll just suggest that, I won't suggest, I'll state. I mean, this is all I've done for the past 15 or so years is work with financial advisors in the wealth management space. And I've had the great fortune to work with some of, if not the best advisors. And some of them we worked on together and had a great amount of success together in cultivating some of their client relationships. It's an incredibly difficult job to do when you say it out loud. When I look at it, it's your job as an advisor is to, for all intents and purposes, convince really successful, wealthy individuals that somehow you're going to be able to control this uncontrollable system, which are the capital markets. At its base level, no one says that out loud, but like at its base level, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying I know to say, better, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be able to help you 
with an outcome that's relatively unpredictable. And so I have the utmost respect for the work and effort that it goes into being a financial advisor. And obviously the, the position and the responsibilities are far greater than that. But just that as a basic concept is really challenging to do. Dynasty as an organization was created by Cheryl and Ed and Todd, Ed Swenson and Todd Thompson, to be able to capitalize on a few trends. The first trend was that a lot of us came from traditional financial institutions and we saw that assets were flowing out of those institutions into the independent space. The second was the independent space at the time that we started the company was still in the beginning phases. So there really weren't a lot of platforms for what's commonly used in the vernacular of traditional financial institutions, the corner office advisor that had larger clients with more complex needs. There really wasn't a great place for them to go to. And then the last one was there really wasn't a model for a true entrepreneur. It was either you're going to a corporate RIA or you're going to an organization that's similar to a wirehouse with a higher payout or you're going to a roll-up, somebody that's a private equity firm that's going to buy control of your clients and your assets, your entity, and then roll it up and take it public or keep it private. And so what we wanted to do is say, if you're an entrepreneur and you're a financial advisor and you want to create your own equity and your own enterprise value, then we will create a platform. We'll be a platform provider for those RIAs that are in the higher end of the spectrum to be able to serve their clients as well, if not better than the institution where they were before, and then take off some of the things that I would call nuisance issues that advisors that are coming out of traditional financial institutions probably don't want to spend a lot of their time with. And one of those things is your new business around payroll. So being able to identify parties to help them with payroll and benefits, outsourced financials, so being able to keep the books and records, and then identifying an easy way to access third-party money managers, helping them with marketing, because many of them have never had to market before. So just creating a way in which the combination of technology and human capital that we can help advisors that are interested in being true entrepreneurs live their American dream. That's the premise of the business. Yeah, I think definitely we're ahead of the curve, no doubt about it. And I think that, and I don't know about you, but this is what maybe we'll get into some opinions, but I think we're aligned on some of, on a lot of our opinions. I think that there is still going to be a need. And I talked to an advisor yesterday and he asked me this question about, well, why don't I go and just open up my own RIA? This guy's a million dollar producer. He's got a hundred and 120 million or so in assets, not all of it's fee-based, but a majority of it is. And I just said, look, it's you and your son and an assistant. I don't really know if you have the right scale to make it worthwhile to open up your own RIA, do the things that you have to do. And I know you guys help with a lot of the oversight and compliance and all that stuff, or at least you guide the advisors on what to do, but you're not doing it for them. And so for me, my recommendation for this particular advisor was he should be on a corporate RIA, where to your earlier point, so he can focus on the things that make him money, not what he'll end up having to focus on because he won't be able to afford a full-time compliance person to handle all the things that he needs to handle. But I I think that COVID specifically, and I go, I'm a little bit tired of talking about COVID, but we got to talk about it. I had a 
$2 million plus producer in my office a few months ago. And I said, hey, so what's it like being independent? How's it going? And he goes, no, I'm, I'm at Merrill. Oh, shouldn't have said that, but that's okay. Anyway, it is what it is. And I said, well, no, 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 you're independent. He goes, no, I just work from home. I'm like, okay, well, so what's it like to be independent? I said, did you lose any clients? No, actually, no, I'm really, I've been actually more productive. I've grown my asset base and it's been great. Okay, when's the last time you talked to your manager? Not in a long time. I don't know. It's been maybe three, four weeks, whatever. How's it going with your assistant? No, it's working great. She's home and we talk. And if I need something, she gets my phones and all that stuff. I said, okay, did your payout change? Are you making more or less money? No, that's payout's the same. I said, oh, okay. So you're independent. You're doing everything that an independent advisor would do, except you're not getting the economics. And it started to click. And he, this is somebody that, which is what I think is happening in the industry, is they're starting to realize these larger producers that I can do this. I can go and I don't need the big shiny corner office and all this stuff that they pay for that adds no value. And I think there's going to be a huge wave of retail advisors that are going to go independent. But I also am curious what you're seeing, and maybe you can just talk about where you're seeing flow come from. I think there's a secondary wave of advisors that are already independent, to your point, that are maybe at an independent, larger, wirehouse-like independent firm that are 90% 90% fee-based, and they're doing all the things the right way, and they're looking to really take their business to another level. That's where a firm like Dynasty comes in. But so I wonder if you're seeing that, where are you seeing that flow coming from, specifically the traditional firms? Are you seeing private banking type relationships? I hear some noise and chatter in that space. Where are you seeing that coming from? And then are you also seeing any, you, you use the term roll-up before, are you seeing more activity in that space with some of your practices and businesses that you have on the platform? Are they becoming more active in rolling up smaller RIAs and independent producers? I'll unpackage what you said into two different segments. The first segment is around the right fit to be a standalone RIA or a supported RIA is what we would call clients that work with us. And it comes back to that mindset of being an entrepreneur and the boxing metaphor that you used or the boxing maxim is like, it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get knocked down and get back up. Because as you know, being an entrepreneur every single day feels like a tragedy. It's just a matter of whether or not the tragedy of the day is going to take the business down or not. That's what it feels like. And you lose the ability to blame big brother or big sister. It's very easy when you're in a captive institution to go to people that you work with or to other people that are on other teams and say, oh, this XYZ institution is taking advantage of us. When you're on your own and something goes wrong, there's no one to point to. There really isn't. So you've got to embody that. You've got to own that and say, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to take control. And control is also accepting when things go wrong. In terms of the trends, we are seeing as an organization flows from all different parts of the ecosystem. We're seeing it from traditional financial institutions or wirehouses. We're seeing it from larger institutional clients. So large organizations with many people that have dabbled in the advisory business. And by dabbling, they've created a massive advisory business that is sleepy and the people that are there are starting to wake up and say, if I'm 
a $500 million advisor and my technology is from like 1980. Why am I staying here? I can leave and go somewhere else or leave and do it on my own. And then we're also seeing it from existing RIAs. M&A is one of the major themes that if you go to conferences that people are talking about scale and having a minimum amount of AUM and revenue. And while I believe in that to some extent, because I think that makes sense instinctively, I also believe that there's probably a place for just about any advisor in the independent space. And as you know, there are many flavors to that. It's just a matter of like, what is it that you want? Do you want to, and this is the question for everybody, like, do you want to have a lifestyle practice or do you want to grow in a way in which you create something significant that you may have the potential of leaving to your employees or your children? Like, what do you want? Like, cause I can help you at least give you the path to wherever you want to go, but we can't get to where you're going if you don't have an idea. And it's actually like a concept that I'm working on right now with one of my favorite clients is like, okay, like if we're going down path A, which is a business sale, then over the next few years, we need to do A, B, C, and D. However, if we're ready to like throw our chips on the table and say, we want to grow this into a regional powerhouse, well, that's a very different path that we're going to go down. But if we don't make a decision, we just say, we're going to keep doing the same thing. Neither of those outcomes are going to be optimized. And for me, that's the hardest thing probably for any entrepreneur to do, but specifically for financial advisory entrepreneurs, because most of them have been so successful doing things a certain way. I mean, think back to like when you started in the business, because I remember like you were incredibly successful and I bet you were successful because you just cold called the shit out of things. Yeah. Like you weren't going Rinse to repeat. You weren't going to stop. Yeah. You weren't going to stop until you had a certain number of calls over a certain number of time period and turned those calls into prospects and prospects to clients. And so that mentality is really good at the beginning, but like if you don't grow and if you don't pivot and if you keep the same mentality, then you're going to hit a ceiling. That can be like a metaphor for anything, like whatever you do in life, if you just do the same things over and over again, at some point, you're going to reach a ceiling and maybe that's okay. But for me, like, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to continue to like try new things. We talk about happiness. It's more fun. The journey, so I have this vision of my company and where I want it to go and basically take over the world and have all these things, which is why I added the payroll and HR services and doing all these things because I have this sort of long-term vision of where I want to take it. And making good money is great, and that's good. I'm not going to complain about that. But the excitement comes from slowly starting to see things develop that are moving towards my goal, my vision, and that's where you get the excitement. And then when you have more excitement, you do other things. And all of a sudden, new business comes in because you're thinking in abundance. All of a sudden, you grow this thing years later. And you're like, wow, how did we get there? Because we just had this vision. And I, I do agree that there's a lot of advisors. So the question that I ask, and you can use this question if you'd like, I give you permission. And I ask this to every single advisor. And every time somebody in my office knows I'm about to say this, they sort of roll their eyes. Like, oh my God, he's going to ask that question again. And it doesn't matter, the $5 million team, $10 million team, I ask them, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, wow, that's an interesting question. And it's to your point, when you grow up, whether it's 10 years from now or 15 or 20 years from now, what does your business look like? Does it even exist? Do you sell it? Is it super regional? What is that vision? Because without that, you have no idea what you should be doing every day. So I think that that's a huge issue, I think, within our space. I really do. I think advisors 
and a lot of the ones that we know that are, we're still friends with, they've grown great businesses, but they're sort of stagnant because they don't really know how they got. I mean, they did to a degree, but they just keep doing the same thing and they're growing at a decent little pace, but they're not getting the exponential growth that they did when they were hungrier, when they were doing 500,000 or a million dollars. Now they're doing a million eight, but it's like eight years later because they just sort of trudge along. When you look at your team, so I call them teams, you might call them your business partners, those dynasty business partners throughout the country. What do you think is the one common theme? This is what I'm trying to really get across to everybody that's in financial services that runs a business. What do you think is that one common theme that separates the ones that are super uber successful with the ones that are sort of just growing at a nice pace, but they're not really lighting the world on fire? What is that one thing that you think that they have? I don't want to give like a cheesy answer. Like, I mean, the easy one would be like, it's a cheesy question. So that's okay. I think it comes back to what we we're just talking about, which is going to be circular logic to some extent, but I think it fits, which is they know what they want to do. They have a plan. And to me, once you have a plan, then the things that you build off it are able to be measured and you're able to look yourself in the mirror on a daily or quarterly or weekly or however you assess yourself and say, I am doing the things that are leading me to the goal that I have for this company. Because here's the thing for me, and this is your question about what do you want to be when you grow up? Here's another question or another thought that I try to like instill right away. If you've been a financial advisor in a traditional financial institution, like I'm going to challenge you and say, you've never been a business owner. We already talked about that earlier because you haven't really had to handle the expenses you've also more than likely had a very linear way about thinking about your business, right? It's how much did I generate in revenue? And did, as I get closer to certain milestones within the year, what do I need to do to hit the next break point on my grid? And what loan products do I have to do? So I get this bonus. It's like, you've been dictated a way in which you're going to be compensated. And so your actions, a lot of times aligned, with that activity. Now, I'm not saying, like, I would say the majority of our clients didn't do that. And that's why they left. They're like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to do it because it's not in the right, the best interest for my clients, but throw that away and then say, now you've got a business. And so you can't think linearly about your revenue streams anymore. You have to think, is there a way, do you want to build a business that has a brokerage component? So commissionable business. Do you want to have a business with advisory fees? Do you want to have a business with insurance commissions? Do you want to have a fixed fee for financial planning or concierge services? And so when you think about your business, you can't just think about what you've done in the past because now it really is a different organization, a different entity. And I challenge you to think about what you want it to be in the future and how you want to get paid and what makes the most sense for you and your clients. And a lot of times when you have that first conversation, it's kind of like the light bulb goes off and they're like, yeah, I'm not like just doing insurance because like my clients are getting positioned by someone and I want to bring in the regional insurance specialist to like help me get a big ticket. They're building it into the processes that they use because they know that if they do that appropriately, they're going to have a whole new line of revenue that's valuable to the company that's worthwhile for the client. That's awesome. So just, I guess, and so lastly, and to summarize one of the most important points, all of these things that you're talking about, these are the things that you and the team at Dynasty help advisors with. 
So if to advisors that are out there right now that are looking around, and we know there's a ton of them, what would you say to them as a great reason that they should at least be giving Dynasty a look at a potential partnership? I believe what you said a few minutes ago about the pandemic is true. I think there are two main forces that preclude people from thinking outside of the box. Uh, three, three main forces, and they're all closely related. The first one is inertia. It's easier to stay where you are because you know what it is you do. It's like a workout routine. If your workout routine is go to the gym and run on a treadmill for 30 minutes at eight miles per hour, and then go over to the dumbbell rack and do three sets of 12 reps for curls and then go home, that's comfortable. You know you're not going to be in pain. You know what to do. You're not going to look stupid doing something you never tried before. And that's comfort, inertia and comfort closely related. And I think the other thing is like fear of the unknown. I don't know whether or not this multi-layered trust structure can be replicated in the independent space because I was told this is the only place that this thing can be done which is not true, by the way, for anyone that's listening, just about anything is replicable outside of the institution that you're at. Otherwise, people wouldn't even move from captive institution to captive institution. And then the third, so inertia and fear, I already talked about like related to inertia is just like comfort. So those three things are the re- one of the three major forces behind why it's moving. Now the pandemic happens and like this is a completely new ball game because your questions are so accurate. You're sitting at your house, you're dealing with your clients, your clients still love you. You're able to do the things that you do through like a technology interface that allows you to monitor their portfolio, allows you or your team to send wires. All the things that you're already able to do, you can do with the technology interface and the ancillary benefits that are supposedly there, again, are probably not as prevalent in this environment. So for all intents and purposes, and that's the second time I've said this during this podcast, so I'm overusing that term, it goes away. You're already operating as independent. So why not, if that's the case, think about taking the leap if that's something you're interested in? Because you've already kind of proven to yourself that you can. I have one last thing. One last thing, if you'll humor me for a second. Absolutely. Because we talked about a lot of stuff and I have this flag that is outside of our house in Florida. And it says, live a great story. So for all the people that are listening, I just want to give you like just a really quick overview of what that means personally to me really quickly. So I was a biological psychology in Spanish, like a lot of neuroscience in Spanish, double honors major in college. One day I was walking around in the lab and I saw this ticket for like this program, go to Japan, filled out this card, sent it in, And I was going to go to John Hopkins to do research. And like, I got the call and they're like, Hey, you can go to Japan and teach English. And so I was like, great, I'm just going to do it because this is a time in my life. I don't have a lot of responsibilities. I was super fortunate. My parents were very helpful with my college education. And so I went to Japan and then I got there and I was like, I want to learn martial arts. So I found the first place and it happened to be Kyokushin Karate. So if anyone's familiar with like martial arts, it's like the most aggressive form, like punch to the body, knee to the body, kick to the leg. And so they're like, hey, do you want to fight? Like a month in, I was like, yes, I want to fight. So I started (laughs) fighting like in major tournaments. I was on television in Japan. I got kicked so many times in the leg, did not check it, that my whole legs were like black and blue. So come back from Japan. I end up in Massachusetts. There's this place in my gym. It's called Massachusetts Submission Academy. Mike Brown, who's now one of the head coaches at ATT, Keith Rocco, who fought in the UFC, 
Matt Lee, who fought in Bodog and also went down to ATT. They all randomly were there. And so then like guys like Joe Lazone and some people from Militage Fight Academy, these are the history of MMA would come there. And I had no idea. I'm like swimming with sharks, but I like you to show up every day, get beat up every day, keep going, keep going, keep going. So then I leave Massachusetts. I go to New York. I start training at Trinity Boxing in New York City. And one of the guys that's there is this guy named Hollywood Hino. So Hollywood Hino, for those of you that are listening, he's the trainer for Jake and Logan Paul. He's like this big Instagram celebrity guy, but he was there. And I would go to Trinity Boxing and I'd train for boxing. And that, to your point, was where we would do the Wall Street boxing deal. Then I leave. I go to the West Coast and I end up at this gym randomly. It's like three blocks from my office in San Francisco. It's a place called Empower. And there's this guy named Tariq Azim, who's like the trainer for like Scrap Pack and Jake Shields and Marshawn Lynch. He was in the ring when there was like the massive fight between Jake Shields and Mayhem Miller. And like I train with all these MMA guys in San Francisco. And then I come here and I haven't trained MMA for like, but my point of my story from a martial arts journey. Well, one last thing, our friend in the gym in New Jersey that we used to train at, our friend is now one of the top MMA trainers, striking coaches for like people who Ryan, see on TV yeah. all the time. Ryan Cafaro, Ryan for those of you that ask him, go check him out right. on Instagram. Awesome. So my advice is that, look, everyone starts as a beginner. I had no idea how to do any of this stuff. And I just think if you're open to the potential of living a great story and you put yourself in positions, whether it's like professionally or physically or relationship or spiritual that allow you to be stretched, you're going to grow. You just have to. That's just the way that it is. And inertia and comfort and fear, that's something that's prevalent in almost everyone. Like we all do that, but like just get over it and, and dive in. Dude, that's awesome. Life's more exciting when you push your limits and you learn and you make yourself uncomfortable. But anyway, dude, that was awesome. I knew that we'd have this kind of conversation. I'm laughing. I'm smiling when you brought up Ryan Cafaro because I remember when he first came to the gym and he got in the ring and I used to beat him up a little bit. And <laughs> that was one of the top striking coaches out there in UFC. It's amazing. But he put himself in the ring. Yeah, that's right. He embodies that. He embodies that of showing up every day working at his craft because it would have been very easy. I'm sure there are tons of detractors that 10 years ago said, you're never going to make it. Well, look, there's times where on occasion he would have a fight and it would not end well for him. He didn't quit. He kept a great attitude. He'd come to the gym the next day, be like, hey, listen, I didn't do this well. I didn't do this right. I didn't do this right. I wasn't blaming anybody else. I got to get better. I got to get back in the gym. And I really admire him for that. I'm really proud to see where he is right now. So, but I think that that's one of the things that the takeaway from this is you got to keep moving forward. You got to keep growing. You got to stretch your limits. You can't be complacent at the firm that you're at. Even if you, someone said to me, if you were looking at a new firm and the current firm that you're at was one of your options, would you make the decision to go there? Yeah, it's a good point. And if the answer is no, then why are you staying there? Knowing so, what you know now, would you go to that firm? And you're right. Probably the most no. respondents would say, absolutely not. Absolutely no. not. So listen, I appreciate it. Thank everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know I did. I always learn from Austin. All of his history just is amazing. It amazes me because he's done so much more than I have. It always impresses me. But I really appreciate it, man. I hope you enjoy your time. And I'll be coming down to Florida for a short weekend. We'll get together. We're not going to be boxing because you'll kick my ass. I'm really out of shape. <laughs> Maybe I'll join one of those groups. But we appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot, Austin. Take care. Thanks, Frank. 
Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.